Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in the genre, but had their life changed by it in a major way. And today on the show, a huge influence on me, a lot of my peers, a lot of people, Al Nolan of the band Trigger Happy, of the Down and Outs, of Kingpin, of uh, Five Foot Nothing, more on all that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can also find me on various forms of social media, at left for damien If you'd like to get in touch with me on Facebook, there's a Facebook page, or Facebook.com slash Punk, run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. You can send him a message. He'll get the message to me. And if you don't use Facebook and you want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent into the show that we post on Facebook, you can go to turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. And if you would like to support the show, the best way of doing that is by going over to iTunes, if you use iTunes, writing a review, rating this thing, and subscribing to it. And if you don't use iTunes, the best way to support it is just by telling your friends. Tell everyone you know. Share the love of this show. If you'd like to support me right now, the best way to do that is by going over to fuckedup.cc, and that's the website of the band that I am in called Fucked Up, and we are right now on tour on the west coast of the United States and up into Canada, too. Um, So if you're listening to this when it comes out, check those show dates out. Maybe we're coming to a city near you. You can hear right now I'm driving in a van with Fucked Up, staring uh, vacantly down an open highway, uh, going to Los Angeles to play a show, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun so far. One show in though, so just just so far one show, but it was a lot of fun that first show. So uh, hopefully we'll come and see. Hopefully I'll get to see some of you on this tour. You know, going to be recording some podcasts while I'm out here, but uh, that's in the future. We're talking about the present, and right now, in the present, we're talking about the Al Nolan episode of Turned Out a Punk. Now, Al Nolan is someone that I kind of grew up watching on stage. He was certainly the first front, like the first front person that I ever met that that blew my mind, and I was like, I know this person, and they're singing in that band, and they're incredible. Ergo, I could be a person singing in a band. So he played a huge role in my life and my my path that I've gone down. He and I have had ups and downs, known each other for a very long time, but I'm, I'm incredibly proud and happy of him for him right now because he is on stage making his on-stage acting debut since high school. He talks about this in the podcast a little bit. As part of Hardcore Logo Live, they are doing a live staging of the Bruce McDonald cult classic at the Dance Cave in Toronto. If you'd like to get tickets for this show, you go to HardcoreLogoLive.com. They're running throughout the month of March, right until, I believe, March 26th. So go out to that and and get a chance to see uh, a really fun show. I think I have to miss the whole thing because I'm on tour, but uh, I wish I was seeing it. I really, really do. Um, So, yeah, this is a great conversation, something I've wanted to do for a very long time. Get to find out about a lot of bands that I didn't know a ton about, you know, like about the history of, like Malhab. Anyway, I'm not going to blabber on about this. You're going to hear it all in two seconds on the show. So I'm going to keep rolling down this endless highway known as West Coast Touring. And you, my friends, sit back, relax, and enjoy Al Nolan on Turned Out a Punk. Well, this is a uh, an awesome one to finally get to do, Al. I feel like I think I think I interviewed you for my zine way back when. Oh God! But that's the last time. Probably, yeah. We've oh. sat in this kind of format. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used my one of my favorite things was your brother and yourself bringing your dad to uh, the punk shows. <laughs> yeah. And I remember your old man kind of not necessarily looking confused, but looking concerned, but not necessarily looking confused. And I think he was a bit thrown back by. Uh, I'm sure a parent's idea of what a punk show would have been wasn't some very handsome Irish gentleman with thick black glasses and slick black hair coming and hello, Mr. Abraham, how are you, sir? Very unpunk. But at the time, like, uh, as Rollins said uh, here in Toronto a million years ago, punk rockers are usually the most closed-minded, most uh, unaggressive, perhaps, or maybe, who knows, or whatever, you save it for the right time. But at that time, um, yeah, it was, like, uh, like I was saying on the way in here, um, my earliest memories was your happy, smiling face <laughs> and your gorgeous Osmond-like hair. Real well, that's gone. <laughs> that is gone. You, Al, are one of the few people that gets to remember that, except for my mom, who brings it up. Yeah. Yes. She would always tell me, you're never going to go bald. 
Oh, and yeah. that cursed me. Big time. <laughs> really, really <laughs> cursed me, big time. I'm, I'm uh, I guess, uh, very happy to say that uh, at 47, I still have my lid, thank God. You but still got your looks, buddy. There's no, there's, there, no one can take that but away from you. But speaking of looks... He's not, taking it away by choice. <laughs> there, that, that handsome voice you're listening to, ladies, is my good friend Sad Eyes. That's uh, Andrew Fleming, who is playing guitar and also playing the role of Billy Talent in Hardcore Logo Live, the Toronto production that we'll get to eventually. Yeah, we'll get to that. Well, I will, and if because we probably let's be honest, we yeah. turn out a punk. Yeah, we we will probably get within like just a deep end. No worries. Let's be honest. Oh, Maybe hell, Kingpin. Hell, wow. Maybe Kingpin. This is your life. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how the show works. But I promise I will. Go might, both do uh, great justice to this amazing show that's going tears. on. Uh, enjoying the introduction and, and plug tickets and plug the event mm-hmm. uh, with all due course. But I got to start this off the way I start these all off, which is a beer. How well the beer, beer, definitely, and Pepsi, <laughs> and Pepsi, which for me is uh, worse than beer. I think, I think I'd be better <laughs> off you. with a beer. Thank you very much. Lime cordially, your beer. Well, this is huh. this is where you get, I believe, the derogatory term "limey." Oh, is that where? No, I think I think it's because there's lack of lime, and that's why they got. Uh, the, what's the disease you get from no vitamin C? Oh, scurvy. Plants. Scurvy. Yeah, that's what. They, and so they used to suck on limes, so they call them limeys. Mm. But that's where well, cordial too. That's probably where you're right. As an Irish person. Fuck them, who cares? <laughs> well, cheers. I'm just kidding. Historically, fuck them. <laughs> well, well, currently. Yes. And, and on that note. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you came across the genre? Uh, there was a 60 Minutes report on the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman said a very funny thing of, they were on their way, it's in the Sex Pistols documentary, they are on their way to get porno magazines and some kind of <laughs> sexual device, but they left the hotel floor littered with beer cans, hot dog wrappers, and acne cream tubes. And I, I remember my dad going, what is this shit? Marie, come here, look at this. And I was like, whoa. But that was the first kind of ridiculousness. And then I was huge into Kiss. Yeah. Kiss were like, when I saw Kiss on the Halloween, uh, Paul Lynn Halloween special, mm-hmm. when it was, Jesus Christ, it was seven or something like that. So it was that like Star Wars hadn't even come out yet right so mm-hmm. that was this giant man spitting blood and screaming <laughs> and fire it was like the, it was like Marvel Comics coming to life mm-hmm. you know before any kind of thing it was better than the Batman's weekly TV show and then we had this brilliant we are so lucky to have had this in Ontario we had a show called The New Music on City TV yeah and it was on Saturday nights at 11 and repeated Sundays at 5 for anybody that was too cool now the only problem was the hardest decision to make on a Sunday, if you weren't allowed to stay up late enough to watch it on a Saturday night, the hardest decision was on the Sunday, if you were a youngster, was do you watch the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoon on Global, <laughs> or do you put up with the, all the other crap and wait for the song you want to see, because there was no videos yet, yeah. and Much Music would get these video, audio video promos, yeah. AVPs or whatever, and you would get maybe The Clash, you would see... Uh, you would see the Sex Pistols, or they, but it wasn't. It didn't. This, uh, new music didn't start till about '79. Mm-hmm. But you would see these repeated videos and stuff, and uh, and you, I just started stockpiling. And then one afternoon, everybody knew who Teenage Head was because of the riot that happened at Ontario Place. So we all saw that on news, on the news, and everything. And and t- but to me, Teenage Head weren't a punk band. They were like. Because of the, the revival of the 50s stuff at the time, it was perfect segue because American Graffiti had just come out. Happy Days was my favorite TV mm-hmm. show in the world. So there was that hoodlum kind of like aesthetic about it. The stuff, whole yeah. kind of tough. There was The Fonz was the toughest guy I ever <laughs> fucking heard of in my life. Like of all people, like that guy was like I quote him still to this day. Like I jokingly, I probably called you at one time. I call people Cunningham. Like I'll say things like that. It's just. You know, it's not a mean thing. It's just like, but the Fonz is one of my fucking heroes. Yeah. I, have, I have even applied him into my stage banter and stuff like that. <laughs> but there was these fucking kids in Scarborough that started a Teenage Head cover band at the age of like twelve or like Teenage 13. Kicks. Teenage Kicks. Yeah. Wow, you are the you are blowing. You are the only. Gordy <laughs> Lewis doesn't even remember this fucking story. You're the guy that remembers it. And I saw these kids on TV, and they were. The singer guy was doing his Frank, yeah. best Frankie Venom. The other kids all, even like the bass player kid had Steve Marsh's <laughs> hair, right? right? The big goofy kind of like ridiculous Arthur Kane looking kind of thing. And I don't think he went as far as to have a pink bass, but I remember my dad going, 
What are these kids bleeding doing? And I go, Dad, I gotta do that, man. They're in a band. I need to be in a fucking band. And and my uh, the other thing was when you came home from t uh, school at the time, television. Your three main shows were Adam's Family, Misfits, Goth, all that mm -hmm, kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Fucking the Monkees. <laughs> Four dudes living in a house together, also known as a van, chasing girls and playing music at the end of the set. Like, yep. And whatever you're into, brother, is like, like the most covered pretty punk much. song, pretty much. And then Happy Days was on afterwards as well. It was prime time kind yeah. of thing. So that was your thing. But like, I knew about Teenage Kicks before I knew about really full on Teenage Head. Yeah. And then, then all those cats started dying. Right, so then it was even. I remember the discussion of the Ramones, like on television. The Ramones going, "No, we're a new wave band," like on Tom Snyder. Because mm. well, I'm an only child, as you can probably tell from over the years. Oh, so, that, there you go. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so my my dad, my mom would go to bed early. My dad would fall asleep in front of the TV. So I used to hide. We had one of those. You when you in a, and in the 70s when you moved into a house, the first thing you did. You built the bar in the basement. Okay. Irish Catholic family, you built the bar in the basement. Then you'd have your tabernacle over in the corner, wherever you sat, and you had your holy water in the door when you came in. So you built your bar in the basement. So the bar was deep enough that if I knew something was on TV that I wanted to have a poke at, I could hide in the bar. And I would sit there for hours. Actually, when uh, when we started going on tour, I remember I had, like just trying to sit still. You know, when you're freaking out, there was no social media. There was nothing. I would taught myself how to sit still for eight to twelve hours and not move, not sweat, not spill anything. So I'd be in this little thing, waiting for my mom to go up, my dad to go up. I probably heard some things I shouldn't have heard. But anyway, so Tom Snyder used to come on because I stayed up that night to see Kiss on there, and, that's yeah. and they had the other things. And I remember Danny Fields being on with Tom Snyder and, and the Ramones, and them going, "Well, we don't use the punk word anymore because if you read and please kill me, they said he started calling it New Wave." Mm -hmm. So I fucking ate up New Wave like crazy. I love the B52s. I didn't like. Uh, I liked some of that uh, because I also had older cousins that would influence me on stuff. So mm -hmm. I had a really broad spectrum. My mom and dad were Mersey Beat people. They loved the Beatles. And as far as I'm concerned, still to this day, those first six Beatles records, so they're all high on speed, trying to get with everything that moved. You know, that was an incredible kind of run of songs. And, oh, oh and, they were, and, and also the, the amount of speed they were taking. Yeah. Well, they and if you hear the live recordings, like Ringo singing and playing drums, I don't care what anybody says. That, those guys were tough as fuck. Oh, man. yeah. Well, like you're playing in Hamburg on the Even, docks. Yeah. You would have to be a hard band to kind tough of do that. stuff. Well, they, you, um, no, because you... you um, Fuck, there was something I wanted to touch on. Anyway, sorry, go on. You're Anyways, done. I lived in a suburb called Pickering, mm -hmm. 20 minutes outside of Toronto, and it was predominantly at first a very serious um, uh, Scottish-English uh, Protestant area. Mm -hmm. But then out of nowhere in the 70s, all of us dirty, filthy Catholics started moving in. But we had Dutch Catholics, Irish Catholics, Scottish Catholics, English Catholics, and Jamaican Catholics. So we were really serious mixed. It was almost like a project, mm -hmm. like kind of the mixed kids. Now, the parents were all pretty civil to each other. There was your typical kind of like what you would call, I guess it was Archie Bunker-esque kind of like racism. Mm -hmm. All the kids got together. Like my best friend was a kid named Simon Kelly. And I brought him home one day. My dad thinking his last name's Kelly. He's an Irishman, but he says, my dad says, Jesus, he's black as the ace of spades, Marie. My name is Jamaican kid <laughs> yeah. in the neighborhood. Right? But because of that, people would go back for the summers or they would send their children back and forth to the summer so we had a pretty serious European thing so in our elementary schools people started showing up in checkered ties mm -hmm. um, small pins on their v-neck vests and there was the specials there was the, that revival and we had there was three kids in our town that were as far as oh watch out there are the punks or they're the new waves and there was this one cat named Sean Hovington mm -hmm. who's probably done monitors for you uh, Sean? Sean Hovington. He's a yeah. long-haired gentleman. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Sean Hovington. Okay. That's one of our first punk rockers in Pickering. <laughs> Sean, for some strange reason, like Keith Moon liking uh, Joe Walsh, liked me. I don't know why. Yeah. And, and yeah. you would, could see... I, on the one side of the 401 I lived, and you could see Sean coming, because he lived on the other side. He lived in the south side of Liverpool Road, which is even ideal in Pickering. A street called Liverpool was our main drag, mm -hmm. right? So it's ideally Very to the music. <laughs> yeah. to the music. And, it, and Liverpool led to the harbour, which you could get into whatever Scooby-Doo mystery you wanted to down there and kind of stuff. And then the top of the street was where the winter started. So anyways, you could see Sean coming across the bridge. No, you wouldn't see his face. You would see this mohawk coming first, <laughs> and like a shark. You would see the thing coming over. Sean's coming, Sean's coming. Everyone look cool, everyone look tough. Yeah, like this. And also the other secret ingredient in Pickering was we were the first, my next door neighbor, the Greenwich family, were the first Vans distributor in oh, Ontario, wow. if not Eastern Canada. Okay. And then with Vans comes Paul Peralta. So mm -hmm. we were had the first skateboard distributor. Mm -hmm. And you could get Thrasher magazines as if they were nothing. 
in Pickering by my buddy's my buddy's house. You'd go to his garage and you'd sit in there, and he used to get us to pick orders. So that then my friends. So we were already skateboarding before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so we well we were interested in it. We yeah. were interested in it. It wasn't until I guess the whole when we got a copy of the Thrasher magazine. We were all metal guys. Yeah. So um, the, uh, in my grade eight class, I know I'm going all over the place. So Sean was the first punk we had, but everyone did the whole crossover get into because when Metallica, I, I was lucky enough to be 15 years of age and I saw Metallica open for Wasp at uh, the concert on January 19th, and uh, so. That's when I, you know, we started listening to Brian Taylor on uh, Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock. Now, this is how you used to have to get Arg Rock on Tuesday nights in my house. <laughs> I was on the top floor. Usually a teenager's room is always the coldest in the winter and the hottest in the summer. <laughs> so I had a one-speaker boombox that I tied to a hockey skate string. And I'd have to lower it out the window or lower it up to get a fucking signal. So you guys were lucky being on the TTC line, even the later day. Like, Christ... Uh, I'll get back to this. So I would have to think this up, and then well, they never really had a great signal either. Like CIUT yeah. had the great signal because yeah, they had the CKLN C didn't. No, CKLN, no, you're right. So I don't think even I could get it downtown. Oh, weird. Never thought like of it was like I, I remember I used to have to get it, and, and Brian had left Ag Rock by that point, yeah. but it was still going in some form, or there was still stuff, and I would have to go to the bathroom and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Just it sounds, my dad would go, "What the fuck are you doing?" Right, don't worry about it. Like that. <laughs> and the thing is, though, when you have it out and you finally get the signal, Jesus, did I press record? <laughs> fuck like that. So, so you're trying to get it in there, and then it's like, okay, so that. And I remember the first time here in. Uh, what did he do? He played, uh, he goes, tonight we're going to do punk bands play covers. So it was like, you started hearing uh, Direct Action do One Tin Soldier and um, the Nip Drivers doing Rio. So it was like, oh, weird, this punk stuff's kind of crazy. So then um, I ran into this kid that I knew in grade eight. Let's go back a bit, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. I went to a Catholic school that was brand new Catholic school on uh, White's Road. I'm going to use this. And... Uh, there was a few of us that were very artistic, so you could draw, you got, if you, if you couldn't communicate, you couldn't multiply, if you could draw, they would do something <laughs> yeah. with you. So, okay. here's me drawing away, and this, I'm in grade 7, and this grade 8 kid comes in, and he puts up his, everyone's art was displayed in the hallways, so he puts up his art, it's an, an exact drawing description of Iron Maiden's Killers, front cover and back the little squares were called <laughs> in a thing and you know who that guy was who it was james cavaluzzo who would end up being in mal havoc oh wow like the singer mal havoc yes, fucking cuts himself yeah the, in, the, in the bag on the stage so thing? i see this dude's right. in uh oh. we had to share uh thank yes, you very you. much excuse me we had to share uh thank you gymnasium time with things it was a brand new school and they were still kind of free so i go up to this curly-haired buck-toothed italian kid and i go yes he had hair too at the time and i go did you draw that iron maiden thing and he goes, uh, yeah, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I love Iron Maiden. Women in uniform, so he looks at me and he just gives me the, the snake eyes or whatever. And I'm like, oh, fuck, whatever. Then, uh, flash forward to coming downtown and I picked up this magazine by this god named, uh, these two gods, uh, Glenn Salter and yes. Derek Emerson, called yes. Metallic Assault. An incredible zine. Oh my god! And amazing taste too. Like. Yeah, because it, it was, even though they, they gave way to some like leftover kind of like you know, silly bands. It wasn't all Exodus and it wasn't all Death yet and it wasn't it wasn't just Sacrifice and Slaughter and that kind of stuff. It was Gravedigger. Yeah. Like running Wild and uh, like the, the German bands were good but then at that time the only only way you could get a Metallica album in Toronto was you got a British import mm -hmm. by that label called Music for Nations and they were 10 gauge vinyl does that make sense okay it was like, fucking, like, like the you bought five yeah. records of the record peddler you were carrying home about 10 pounds because the vinyl was thick right? and the yeah. covers were thick like all those original venom yeah. issues and stuff they were like books and it came thick stuff Celtic frost records like oh, that too totally yeah. but um so my first time the record peddler i go down it was when it was on uh queen street east besides city tv because mm -hmm. i got an ear infection <laughs> in grade 10 and I was told to stay home with a doctor. And um, Midweek Metal Mania was on Toronto Rocks. And they were giving away autographed copies because Bruce Dickinson was down. I was on the Power Slave Tour. This one they were still good. The last good Iron Maiden song was Ace's High, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. And uh, Maiden will always come back into I don't know if punkers in my age that you've spoken to. Iron Maiden was a very, very serious Absolutely. decider. Because with Deano 
if you're a Deano guy, you're a punkish kind of person. Bruce Dickinson, whatever. I can't stand the guy. I can't stand his, that fucking vocal. So you, which is, I'm, I'm the same way, but oh, yeah. I, I've only gotten to him later. I was not yeah. a metal kid growing oh, no, up. No, no, because even I you feel the exact same kind of. Do you find there's footage of uh, the first time Maiden came to the concert hall, yeah. the City TV interview, and Jonathan Cummings is in. He's like 12, <laughs> so or, t- or 14, and he's he's out of his mind or whatever. Anyways, uh, so where was it? Oh yeah. So I go down the peddler and I hear I heard Brian played um, uh, Sudden Impact do Gonzo. Okay. And I, I I'm ashamed to say this I've always loved Ted Nugent. Yeah. I couldn't stand his I'll punch him in the face if I saw him but that album Free for All is fucking. You're badass. a good company. Ian McKay too, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah, you know. When I spoke, I was like, because <laughs> all those Descendants dudes love Ted Nugent. Now you yeah. know how to take those guys. Like at some point now, now you can. But now, the one time you didn't know how to take all those cats, no. right? Because they were such weirdos. But I think uh, even now it's a little weird, intense. Yeah, it's 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 not as David Lynch anymore. No, it's more no, it's more true. Disney weirdos now that's than true. anything. But uh, <laughs> especially the drum group. But. Um, um, I love Bill Stevenson. Bill Stevenson and I have a birthday that's only 24 hours apart. He's okay. September 10th. I'm September 11th, which probably explains a lot as well. Um, are you? A Vir- you guys are Virgos. I'm triple Virgo. And I'm Steph- a Virgo too. Stefan's a Virgo. Yeah, I knew you were. Yeah. Stefan's a Virgo as well. That's right. Yeah. Um, this kind of stuff matters to us. Um, <laughs> it matters. Believe me, if people listen to this podcast, oh yeah, it matters. Know. Like this, this podcast is the podcast that caters to that kind of information. <laughs> so I bought a cassette. I bought the freaked out cassette, mm-hmm. and Brian. That's when, this is when Brian was nice. This is when Brian had long hair, okay. and and uh, <laughs> had a bullet belt. And uh, there was another guy named Pete that worked there. And Ben would come in and out. Ben from the thing. This is before the Daglos and the Canadian government crushed uh, Fringe Records and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Stuff. Wow, well, we've been through a lot now that I'm thinking about. It. Holy shit! Oh my god! Yeah, and then and know what? That's funny. The Fringe, the the like the. The, the fringe kind of censorship and anti-censorship yeah. stuff that's, that hasn't come up on this show yet but oh, that's weird. like a huge like that's like the Jello Biafra yeah and then the Daglo abortions records of, yeah, you know, yeah of, of Canada like that's totally. like the, the, that defined well it's funny because fringe ish domesticated yeah, Frank and Christ I don't yeah. think they took the heat for that in the same way they no the not, not fetus of fetus yeah <laughs> which so heavy I, record title oh, so. I know poor Andrew <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, this is um, fascinating at you get to eat <laughs> I'm just like a listener on this podcast right now this um, is fascinating um, so I bought that cassette and I brought it home and at the time I still had long hair and I was very into metal I was becoming a crossover person as you would call it <laughs> and uh I dyed my jean vest white. I bleached it. So I'm like, I'm going to do some art on this. So I bought the cassette. The skateboard place is up beside my house. I went in, I put, helped pick an order. The old man, God love him, Mr. Greenwich, he passed away just recently. Um, Rest in peace. Gave me a, a complete deck for $35 called the Action Sports Breakout or something like okay. that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Fuck, right on. Yeah. So I, he goes, here, I'll take a magazine. And they were the van strippers. So you left there with like about fucking six to fucking seven inches of van stickers. You put them everywhere. And so I got in the house and I went through the pages of Thrasher. And I saw this ad for JFA record, Jody Foster's Army. Yep. And I saw this dude and he was, I looked at the picture of this guy and I looked at myself and I was wearing a flannel, buttoned up, jeans and uh pair of vans and I'm like, but I had long hair and I was like, hmm, go I think my mom and dad will get a kick out of this. So I went down to our local barber and I got my hair all cut off. Mm-hmm. I came back in the door and my dad goes, what are you supposed to be now? <laughs> I'm a punk. <laughs> and then, how'd that go over? Well, he didn't give a shit. My mother was like, okay. you look angry with your head shaved. Okay. And, I guess uh, once they've been through metal. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. That. Oh, my mom, my, my mom used to, my mom used, my mom said she never got scared by anything I did until we went on tour. But, um, my best friends at the time. Had you played in metal bands? No, no. Nothing. See, I tried my best. I I got a guitar. I got a bass. I tried. <laughs> I just wanted to be out front. I wanted to be a fucking you, singer. It's right? that gene we have. It's that really singer gene. I don't understand it. <laughs> and um, my buddies were these really really wicked guys that became Mal Havoc, mm-hmm. and it was James Cavalduso, John Cars. That's the first lineup too, right? The Nigel yeah. Nigel Williams, their original guitar player, who accidentally <laughs> this is the best story of my life in Pickering High School. Nigel Williams, their guitar player, while actually constructing an upside down cross, <laughs> not a right side up cro- cross, an actual upside down cross, lost the top part of his finger oh, while oh. making it. Oh my god! So 
He was limited. Uh, and then my other friend from my high school, Dunbarton High School, was a really excellent individual named Terry Walker. Now, Terry reached out to me when I came in high school in grade nine with a Iron Maiden shirt on with a picture of Eddie, and it said Iron Maiden, but I had taken liquid paper and wrote old Iron Maiden over it. <laughs> and Terry said that's when I knew he was cool. So Terry turned me on to Venom, uh, uh, Metallica, and all that stuff, but this is where... It's funny because they... Sorry, this is before the haircutting thing. Excuse me. This is before the haircutting thing. Well, yeah, well, they were just great because yeah. like that, back to the long... It's funny because Mal Havoc is such a sonic influence on so much metal now. Yep. That's interesting to hear what their roots were. And I guess like Venom, everything goes back to Venom for the evil. Venom? Venom was the most outrageous thing I had ever seen. Worse than, <laughs> worse than fucking Sid Vicious, Sid and Nancy. Are you okay? Oh, everything's beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Sid and Nancy... Heroin, Teddy Boys, Leather Jackets, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, like, fucking, those Newcastle, those Geordie fucking black metal guys. I was like, <laughs> those guys used to freak me out so much. I, I would listen to the records during the day, but then hide them under my bed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Joey putting Little Women in the, in the freezer or something silly like that. <laughs> yeah. and, but it was, and I've, I don't know if you've noticed, I've, been, I've gotten back into it recently because, you know, you're constantly looking for the, to get back to that high, yeah. you know? And you'll go through this, and it's like, Often the Descendants are my two favorite bands, like because thank God they have stuff out that's recently. But mm -hmm. I still like. Yeah, I'm gonna put on uh, the first Venom album. I'm gonna listen to this, and I like that's. If anything, it's, it's it wasn't even a classification of metal or punk. It was the most because it was shit. Yeah, it was horrid. Yeah, it's not technically. Very but it's so awesome at yeah. the same time, yeah. right? Yeah, it's really primitive in the best way. It's ways. so raw. It's rawer than Motorhead. The Venom is rawer yeah. than Motorhead. Right Anyways. On. And the so, lyrics make Motorhead sound yeah, like... Yeah. Motorhead is like, like they're going to the store and buying a case of beer. Yeah. Venom, they've declared war on Satan, and they're fucking... <laughs> damnation, sinks, damnation sinks his talents deep into the womb of Utopia, spilling forth great things of lust. That's as far yeah. My buddy Terry can do the whole thing. Back to Terry. So, I got my hair cut. I got a skateboard. We all kind of started getting skateboards. And my buddies started this band called Charlie Brown's Wang. Okay. <laughs> and they, uh... Now, I couldn't play an instrument, so I wanted to get in there, but I was so stoked for them. I'm like, yeah. And I met my my best friend, who's named John Paul McDonald, who was also born on September 11th, 1968. Wow. We gravitate towards each other. And he goes to me, hey, I just joined this band. Oh, what are they called? Charlie Brown's Wang. Excuse me? <laughs> no worries. So we go over to this house in Pickering, and it's this dungy little townhouse, and I'm going to the basement. And it's dank. It's all these records. I've never seen so many records. Like you would freak out if you saw these records. And there's this long, stringy-haired brown guy, or brown-haired gentleman with a, what we call a beer store mustache. He's only—I think he's just turned 17. Okay. Kept the stash. Tough skin jeans. Some kind of weird Converse. I think one red, one blue. <laughs> and then this yes, three-quarter length thing. And that was Mark Holman, also known as Moby, yeah. who was a guitar player in Charlie Brown's yeah. Wang. Then, then, then they changed their name to Missing Link. Oh, the, the Missing Link's out there. Yeah, so this, this is, no, they had a guy named Lee Ryan. This guy named Lee Ryan came to our town, this Quebec kid, and he is the guy. Okay, all, so all of us established her that we want to be punks, we want to do this, we wanted things. So we had our little thing. Then this French kid shows up and all of a sudden, we're all, you're all posers. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. You got better skateboards, you gotta better this, better that. It was like, <laughs> it was my Al Nolan. Punk rock boot camp. Pretty much. Yeah. He had this cassette. You're and Al he Nolan. goes, awesome. and he goes, I'm gonna make copies of this for you guys. So he makes one for John. John goes, holy shit, you gotta hear this. I'm like, well, what is it? He hands me the tape. Bad brains, roar. Yeah. <laughs> well, what is it? It's black guys. I'm like, what do you mean it's black guys? They're Rastafarian hardcore punk rockers. Fuck are you talking? He puts it in. Nothing was ever the same yeah. after that. And it's amazing how rock and roll steals from black culture forever. And it's so funny that it, even though their culture didn't really excel as perhaps as they wanted to be, that they would give it back to us that way. And you're forever in debt to them. Mm -hmm. I know they're they're questionable and all that kind of thing, but I've never known a band to be so deep into their structure, their religion, their thing, and not one punk rocker. Well, some of them have called them out on it because they've done some despicable things, yeah. and there are some things attached Austin, to Austin, Texas still does not hold No, it doesn't. No, them. I would not. <laughs> but but I know what you're saying. You like, they're like yeah. one of those bands that like when you hear them, 
nothing's the same. They're not a t-shirt band, mate. You, no. There's some bands you buy a t-shirt just yeah. to feel included or whatever, <laughs> like whatever. But, and, and, and there's, there's gateway bands, right? But the Bad Brains were fucking heroin. You died and came back to life again when you heard that band. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, we're like, yeah, fuck this. Those guys started missing Link. I became what they called a theater nerd in my high school. <laughs> I got a, instead of being a punk rocker, for some weird reason, in grade 12, my drama teacher said, you should try out for this play. And I go, why? Well, you got a lot of energy. I got in a lot of trouble in school. I had really, really bad allergies. And the school I went to when we moved here from Ireland in Canada was, it was built in 1927, so it, I can never say the word right. As, as asbestos? Yeah, I know. It's, it's my iris. Asbestos everywhere, dust. So I was allergic to everything. So what does that do? That makes you hyper. So mm-hmm. parents on or the teachers on I thought I was just some fucking asshole. So I was always in trouble, this, this, and this. So in high school, high school was a bit more modern. The teacher said, the guidance counselor said, put this guy in the theater program because he's got tons of energy to spare. He's not drinking yet. He's not doing any drugs. So put him in the fucking thing. So they put me in. Do you want to try it for this role? So I got the lead role. I played Oscar Madison from The Odd Couple. Great <laughs> twelve. Um, so, so you're I, always good for screen adaptations. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm. And also, screen adaptations. And my mom and dad loved when we got here. They had three TV stations in Ireland. When we got here, we had fucking eighteen or twenty nine in the box. Remember the box? Yeah, click, yeah, click, yeah. Click, click, kind of thing. We were in fucking heaven, right? So then we <laughs> three of us. Oh, wow, what's this? And you could still get like Monty Python and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, I was well schooled on pop culture at that time and also my introduction to North American culture from my cousins gave me a stack of mad magazines about this big that went all the way back to the 60s yeah so I read those fucking things like things so I knew the mad magazine adaptations or parodies of movies of famous movies before anything or any kind of culture thing or punk rock or, or that kind of shit well mad magazine is also like another thing that like informs punk rock in the sense of humor big time. Of punk rock that's where those the legs McNeil and all those cats yeah. you know, he interviewed Harvey Kurtzman like uh, for punk magazine when yeah. he first started well, and, like you look at punk and like even aesthetically it's oh, no. borrowing from that big time and, and, and feeling like that so at this point, like the guys in, I, I guess they it's missing link. Charlie, Charlie's Charlie Brown's, Brown's Wang, Wang became missing, missing link. link. Mal Did Charlie Wh- Brown's Wang have a demo? Charlie Brown's Wang closed the DMZ, the second Whoa. DMZ on Spadina. This is the story. I didn't go. I, I can send you the flyer. I didn't go because I don't know what I was doing. But Charlie Brown's Wang were, were asked to play by the the band called the Slam and the B of Steve Goof used to book the the second DMZ. This is the second one, not the first one. Okay, it was on Spadina. And the poster got up. And the guys all went down, and when they got there, the club was closed. And an obscenity charge was laid on the premises. For the BFG? Because Charlie Brown's logo was Charlie Brown with his pants down and some kind of liquids emitting from his wang on the poster. <laughs> Toronto the good. You guys laugh while I bite. Yeah, that's amazing, because it's... Uh... They're a band that I've, I think has been totally lost for me to like mm. to say that I didn't know they existed. But like, were there recordings? They had one song. One song. Okay. All right. So yeah, what was that? Um, what was the Charlie Brown's Wang one song called? It was called "I Love My Dick." <laughs> they had a real theme, and it went, "I." It was it was sung by this brilliant individual. I don't know what he's doing now. His name is Stuart Chalk. He's one of the most indi- weirdest people I ever met. In my yeah. life. And Dave Koth was the bass player who became the singer for Missing Link. And Mark Holman played guitar, and Lee played drum. Played drums. Now, Lee was seasonal with me. Even though he was a teacher, he knew that there was... Uh, we hate each other now, but <laughs> I, I've had to delete him on Facebook so many times. <laughs> um, but uh, um, Lee used to draw pictures of me on his rack tom. Like, hey, I'm Al, hit me. So he could hit me. <laughs> anyway, so they, uh, they tried to... They, they, they tried to play. I think we. I think they actually even made it to the Quakte one night. They played the Quakte. Okay. At the beach because the goose used to live across the street from the Quakte, the alleyway. Yeah. And at that time, you could go. You could go. To, Lee used to take me downtown with him, and I. Uh, I the way I used to dress him is you. You had your standard, your jeans, your either your Vans or your one colored, chucks, and then you. Uh, 
He wanted to depict the circle jerks drawing. <laughs> you wanted that so I didn't want to wear boots though. I hated boots. Right? Okay. And so because well, I skateboarded too. Yeah, and also yeah. I just didn't want to be any associated with any skinhead kind of thing or anything like that. Because that was this is when it was dangerous. It was very dangerous at the time. That's kind of the BFG skinhead. This is when the BFGs were chasing this, the, the skinheads out of the market. And yeah. They had those wicked. I still have one. Some of the little uh, matchbooks where it says how to explode a glue head. And you open it up and it has the instructions. See glue head. Watch glue head light up. Go over. Flick match at him. It was, it's pretty offensive if you think about it, but. <laughs> And the Goose used to sell Tall Boys. When Tall Boys first came out, you could go in there, you could buy them for a dollar. You could okay. walk around and drink in the street. But they had this gas mask. I remember meeting uh, an individual named Nine Fingers, Steve, Merrick, Kirk, and I think uh, Godzilla was there at the time. Yeah. He later became Big D, God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. And um, the dogs, because the the only time you'd ever seen anything about the goofs was there was this W5 report. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> Jim, 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 I can't remember that. Jim Junkin. Dogs patrol the hallways. The beds are lined in with cages. <coughs> and I'm walking in. And I'm like, and there was a new music piece too, right? <coughs> a little later on, though. There was an interview with Direct Action in their basement up on uh, on near uh, Isabella. Okay. But uh, so Steve's the master of ceremonies. He's holding court. Have I'm 16 <laughs> with Lee and I'm, so I had I had a papal visit hat. My buddy Chris Langstaff, the drummer from Missing Link, was a venture at the time. So the day the Pope came to Toronto, the, Pope, the day the Pope came to Queen Street, my mom took me out of school, got to go down on a Friday. I said, oh, mom, uh, my mom used to run the TD bank at King & Young. Okay. So it was pretty good for an Irish immigrant to become like a nighttime manager. There. Yeah. My mom and dad were huge socialists. Like, my dad was a union steward for the electrical supply board in Ireland. My mother was a... Um, Vespa mechanic before we came here and when they came here they got their business licenses my dad's expression had always been bring it down from the inside right go get them all right that kind of thing so like I said my dad's my parents are huge NDP supporters mm -hmm. um, where was I going with this it mattered oh so mom takes us to see the Pope yeah <laughs> No, I'm okay. Thank you. I'll have one, please. No? Thank you. Do you have enough cordial there? Yes, I do. Thank oh, you very much. How about you? I'm fine, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm st I, I said to mom, well, I'll meet you down at the thing. Can I go to the record peddler before we go to the thing? <laughs> so I go and buy these uh, atrocious titles. Like, I, for the thing I bought, Exilence, uh, Exeter's... Uh, Exited, uh, Exciter's Violence and Force, <laughs> yeah. which the cover, if you know, is hor it's this woman trying to stop a door being broken in with, not that there are these weird black hands coming in, it's called Violence and Force, and it's a disgusting album cover. So I had that tucked <laughs> under my arm, and there's the pontiff going by, and his Pope Mobile going like this, thank He's you, dear. Pontiff going like that, and, and Chris, I saw Chris, and they had hats that said 1984 Papal Visit, and armbands that said 1984 Papal Visit, so Chris gave me those. So I had the look of the skanking guy. So I had a leather jacket and I, at the time it was, I don't know, the, the pride of Canadian things or whatever. I had a big Canadian flag sticker there. Every sticker that I got, D or I, C, O, C, D, black flag, all from the, the Grinch's things or shows. Is this that white vest or is it like No, this a, is my leather, leather jacket. jacket. Okay, yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. The white vest is long gone. And um, uh, Steve, Steve sees my hat and he's like, it's the fucking coolest thing ever. So I got a free beer that I didn't have to pay for. But then they pulled out this gas mask. I'd heard about it, and you guys ready? And we're like, yeah, sure. And you know, Steve voice. It's like, are you guys ready to go? And it's like, yeah, okay, no problem. I do have a Steve impersonation in the show, actually. Oh, really? Right, we're talking and then singing, and, and uh, the gas mask gets put on you. They have a chill at the end of it, right? And it's they, uh, like a grandma hash is what this. Right? <laughs> yeah. They put on like silver dollar fucking size, like commemorative coin size fucking hash. They put it at the bottom. And they're, Suck, 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 so you smoke goes up in the thing and you're just like, and they take it off and they're like, oh, so, so they exploit us and Steve had this double cassette going, that was the internet at the time, double cassette player and self-addressed stamp envelope yep, yep. was dot com pretty much at the time. So Steve goes, yeah, I'll tape you guys whatever. So I fucking stone out of my run, run out of the corner store and buy a cassette for like $2.99 or something, I bring it back, Steve dubs me all. Uh, there's no there's no solution, so there's no problem. Like yeah. demos and all that kind of stuff. I'm sorry, I got leaky pipes. No problem. Oh, here, I got it here. Dude. And uh, so our express route was the go train during the day. But if when we started going to shows at like Ildico's and stuff like that, Pickering, the last train was 12 o'clock, so you would either skateboard or walk from Kennedy Station to make it back to Pickering for yeah. your home run. And it was that's a good six hour fucking five hour walk to skate. And it's <laughs> like all through the Rouge Valley. So, 
Um, uh, 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 so that then the missing link was going. I was being uh, trying to be an actor, and then um, I turned 19 and I saw these guys play. Uh, uh, what did I say? Where did I see them? Where did I meet them? There was a party that Missing Link were playing in Ajax, uh -huh. and I met these three young men. And they said, uh, I said, well, I know these guys. And they said, oh, wow, you know Missing Link. And I, was, I guess I was kind of playing myself up. Oh, yeah, they're my buddies. Yeah, whatever. And they go, well, we got a band. And at the time, I was, I was full on Mr. Theater or whatever, but I wanted to be in a band. The Descendants just broke up. Uh, there was an all record. Um, and uh, it was kind of the Dag Nasty were on Giant. That Giant records mm -hmm. kind of came around. Verbal Assault was happening. The Bad Brains were really huge. Because this is after the kind of that void period, that uh, weird... Uh, late 84, 85 to about 87, 88. So around 1988, um, I said, fuck it, I want to be in a band. So I met these three guys, and I blagged my way into being their singer. I couldn't sing a fucking anything. I had no fucking clue. But I was the right guy that had the right knowledge for, to interest those guys into coming into it. And uh, I bullied my way into the thing, and I went to their rehearsals, and uh, for some dumb reason, we call, I don't know where, I'd just come back from Ireland, and an expression in Ireland for being drunk was, oh, oh he was Elephants, meaning you're just nuts, you're out yeah. of control, you're yeah. a herd of elephants, wreck and stuff, so I said, let's call the band Elephants. They went along with it, they didn't know, whatever, they were a year younger, and, and it, when you're under the age of 20 or 21 or something, for some strange reason, time is a real serious thing, whether yep. you're older or younger, because... It's a huge so many year. things happen in six months versus <laughs> yeah. like one person's week or something like that, you know. And, and I'm still also under the idea that you know, punk is music, but punk was people first. Mm -hmm. Like, where it is people first, and because, like, you know, we all have that guy that necessarily isn't as crazy as everybody else, but he's still into the music. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So I met these guys and I'm doing my best. Missing Link are happy. My buddies are all happy that oh, hell, you got a band now. Oh, this is great. Yeah, we're gonna put you guys on our show. It's gonna do this and this. So what happens after that? Al gets his first girlfriend. Am I allowed to go to practice? No. Why would you go and go to practice and not spend time with me? And it's also the first time I at the same time. And so I was, you know, I had no idea what the hell was going on. It was literally the world was my oyster. Yeah. And uh, so we changed our name to Five Foot Nothing. Uh, oh, good. You don't know that band. Good. <laughs> Were you guys, did you guys record? They did. Okay. Okay, now. Yeah, because I, yeah. So I... I, there was a crazy snowstorm, and I'm supposed to go there for rehearsal. And I said, well, there's a crazy snowstorm. And I worked at this brand new company called HMV okay. that just started in, yeah. in, in Toronto. Um, and uh, I said to the guys, well, listen, I can't make it there because of the snow. And then they said, okay, well, no worries. And the next day they called me and said, listen, you're out of the band. And I'm like, well, what do you mean I'm out of the band? You guys would be nothing without me. Look at this. Well, we're replacing you with Matt White. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I said something horrible like, well, you know what? A five and nothing tour pass might as well be an Ajax fucking bus pass. So fuck you. <laughs> so then I went to Missing Link. We're playing with All on um, uh, May 24th, 1989 at the Apocalypse Club. Yeah. <laughs> so in my, in between that time, I had already established, we'd already established a relationship with Stefan and Carl when they came as All the first time. Dave Smalley as well, because Smalley's sister used to live here. And we, we we were nice. We were their their connection. So Missing Link booked them the show, got them their papers, booked them all over, got them into town or whatever. So this who was the show the first time they came through? The first time they came it was uh, April twenty first, April twenty first, nineteen eighty eight. It was Jill. Oh, it was Jill. Yeah. Jill and Enzo. And Enzo okay, at yeah. uh, the Silver Dollar. Okay, it's on YouTube. You okay. See it, yeah. So I'm at. Uh, Five for Nothing played a show. We I lucked out. We I got us a show opening for Seven Seconds at the Sibidi. Was the MSI too? That no. one is on the big because they played they played one time. It was like seven. That's the one. Yeah, that's it was, one. yeah. Because yeah. I, I made the poster. Oh, okay, I've seen that seconds, poster. Yeah, and I spelled formally wrong. <laughs> okay, because I spelled formally elephants. Five for Nothing formally elephants. I spelled formally wrong. I made the MSI. That's right. Because it was the ourselves tour for oh, seven. Okay, seconds, yeah. When yeah. they went all U two ish. Yeah, and. Um, um, that's reputed to be one of the biggest hardcore shows. It was in, huge. Of that era. It was fucking yeah. huge, and um, the show went off like a fucking. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. I fucking never thought it. I'd ever be involved in something so cool. So anyway, so they kicked me out. Blah blah blah. So fast, flash forward a year or so, and then a week before that, we saw we went to some all ages benefit thing for God knows whatever, and there was this band called Degenerate Youth. Mm -hmm. They were Etobicoke crossover kids, similar to. 
your pack of friends, your no warning crew or whatever the uh, guys, but this is obviously 10 years before that. Yeah. And I saw them and I'm like, wow, these guys are fucking, they're good. They know what they're doing. And it was Mark Kluchnik, mm -hmm. Craig Schubert, Timothy Kowalski, um, Steve Baldwin, and this guy named Heath. But they were all crossover kids. So they had, they, they all of them looked like Frank Bello from Anthrax. They all had <laughs> goofy colored shorts or Frank Bello or Scott Ian. Right? Yeah. Hats were on backwards or turned up. Flipped up, yeah. Crazy long hair. And they all had money. So they had Bones Brigade t-shirts. They had everything from Hogtown, like a Rudy's. There was only two shops at the time. It was Rudy's and Hogtown. I remember even Hogtown. Vans, era Vans. Where was Rudy's? Rudy's was up on Eglinton. Because Hogtown's in the East End, right? Yeah, yeah. Rudy's was up on Eglinton. Yeah. And like the the eras we wear, you know, the the, the Gilligan's, the deck shoes, yeah. the Gil Vans, yeah. they were 70 bucks in the fucking late 80s because you could and there was only two styles so they probably more expensive than Nikes at that point pretty right? much yeah. Yeah. well Patrick Ewing's at that time were $85 yeah, so they're I right was, up there I've always loved shoe culture so I'm, 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 I guess you would call it a sneaker pimp or whatever at one time in Trigger Happy I had so many boxes of Vans and Etnies I was like a rapper I could just take the box and put them back <laughs> in the box and put them back on the shelf anyways do you ever have those airwalks that were tennis ball? No, I saw Fat Mike and I thought they were the most ridiculous things ever in the world. I hated airwalk. The only airwalks <laughs> oh. I liked was Jason uh, Jason Lee's airwalks because they looked like a dress shoe, which is kind of like a hush puppy. Okay, kind of thing. Yeah. Like a, like I call them teacher shoes. Yeah. No, um, yeah, kind of iPath made a shoe. Anyways, we're going okay. to yeah. um, So uh, I, see, I, I see this big fucking Ukrainian kid with his curly hair, this beautiful green eyes, the nicest smile I've ever seen. He comes up and he goes, hey. Weren't you the singer for Five Foot Nothing? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I used to be. I got kicked out. And he goes, he turns like this, classic. I never knew that. I never knew that when the first time I saw him do this move, I would end up seeing him do this for the rest of his life until he passed away. And he turns and goes, looks to the right, looks to the left, and goes, uh, we're kicking out our singer. Uh, do you think you want to join? <laughs> and I go, you, you, you kicked him out? Said, yeah. I said, well, you guys are really good because they had wicked gear. Yeah. Craziest thing they, they had, all had. Mark had an Ibanez Roadster, which is a very expensive guitar at the time. They had JCM 800s. They had half stacks. They had their fucking shit together. The only thing that was weird, they had these flanges on their fucking guitar. <laughs> and Steve Baldwin, the drummer, God love him, had fucking Roto Toms. <laughs> so it was ridiculous. Anyways, so I go, you kicked in. I said, fuck yeah, man. I'd love to be in a band. I go, what do you guys want to do? So, well, we want to kind of go a little more punk. We don't want to do this. I said, yeah, I'm not doing metal, man. I'm not fucking singing metal. Well, we want to do kind of this kind of thing. Do you guys into this sense? Oh, yeah, because Mark had either they ordered away to SST for all this stuff. So they had tons of fucking like, gear. That SST in the play, that's a real fucking label. It's Black Flags label. Oh, yeah. yeah so, and they were the first like merchandise. Oh, kings, yeah. They like, like fucking like, everything. Yeah, like, you like name it. boy band levels of merchandising because for punk bands. In the 80s and really. the 90s, like a coffee cup with a punk band logo on it. Yeah. Unheard of. Right? Shorts. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> track pants. Track pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they really, they really. Well, because Greg Ginn lived in track pants too, as well. But, well, um, but like they kind of set the tone for like where all music's at now as far definitely. as like the mass marketing of that. So. Wow. And so he goes to me, he gives me his phone number. It's 416 I'll never forget that on the piece of paper. And he goes, well, we live in Mimico. And I go, where is that? And he goes, it's a Tobacco. Okay, what, what's Ghost Station? Royal Yorks. So I go, okay, I'll be there Saturday. So this was like a Sunday, and I said, next Saturday I'll calm down. So I call him during the week, so we're still on for Yeah, yeah, man, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is forming Deep End. Yeah, no, I know, absolutely. And so... Uh, I knew where this was going out. Oh, yeah, baby. And, I, I know. and uh, the Generate Youth already had a cassette out. I can't remember what it was called for the life of me. I've never even seen that. I've heard about it. That oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Their logo was like a yuck face and the O and stuff. It was <laughs> classic. Mark was an excellent artist. That's, yeah. He was quite the Renaissance man now that I think about it. Um, and uh, I got down there. I had really short hair, really thick, big fucking glasses, because no one had them at the time. My eras, I, I wanted to look like I could just walk in, and as far as you were concerned, I might as well have been on the back of a fucking record. You know what I mean? Might as well have been this, this, yep. and this. Now, it's funny, the story I'll tell you after that, though, about what actually happened to the photo session for the back of the first Deep End record. Um, I walk in, and I go to the guys, and I go, okay, well, did you learn those covers? So we learned Trying by Dag Nasty. We learned uh, I'm Not a Loser. And they had some new original that they wanted to try. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, let's do it. So blah, 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 do the Dag Nasty song. Trying's the first song from Off We Got It, Dan goes, hey, everyone would jump at that part. I'm not a loser by the sentence, I learned that. And then they had an original, so I tried the thing. But the thing that I did this on purpose, it was a dick move, not a fucking, I wasn't trying to be Mr. Musician, but I jokingly said, um, 
I was really nervous. All this gear was getting ready to start. You know, the hum when the amps turned on, you know, like how we're having, right? What the fuck have you got yourself into? Oh, yeah. Holy shit. So I said, um, I've got to go outside and warm up. So I go out into the market, uh, lived on one of these giant mansions, these Tudor kind of mansions on Lakeshore. So you poverty, 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 Polish consulate, mansion, mansion, <laughs> mansion, mansion, mansion. Like you would see Rick Emmett from Triumph walking down the fucking street. Like it was crazy. And um, so I rock royalty. Pretty much. So I go outside and I'm sitting there going, what the fuck have I done? Mark comes out and goes, so, so what's going on? So I start going, if you talk to Mary, please don't mention me because she's never seen me before. Classic all song. They're like, whoa, that's wicked, man. Well, they're looking at each other. They all start coming out. I'm like, okay, let's go inside, boys. Let's go in and do this. And Craig Schubert is fucking cool. He doesn't say much, but when he does, me, you're floored. He goes, it's pretty fucking cool. I've never seen anybody fucking warm up before. Walks in, so I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> You did it. So we start playing, we start playing, and they look at each other and they go, yeah, let's do this. So, okay, what are we doing? So you got your board? Yeah, okay. So we're all hopping our boards. We're skating over the thing. I go, where are we going? We're going to go kick out Heath. <laughs> Hadn't been done yet. <laughs> Hadn't kicked them fucking out. They recruited you at the yes, show with him at there. at the show with him there. No, no, at the all show. At the, oh, the all show. That was at the all show. Yeah, okay, yeah. Which was a week later yeah, or something okay. like that. So you stay here, Al. We'll be back in a minute. And I go, what do you mean? What the fuck? So I'm standing on my board, and I literally, I'm peeking behind a corner because... The coolest thing about Etobicoke or Mimico was it was similar to Ireland. House, alleyway, house. There was an alleyway behind everything. So I, I, And the fact that these guys had known each other, being somewhat transient in my friends and that kind of thing and being an only child, mm -hmm. I longed and was drawn towards some kind of like like uh, uh, a camaraderie, yeah. a group kind of thing. Yeah. So these guys had all known each other since they were like six or seven. It was, pretty much, it was our story pretty much. Mm -hmm. So I was like... This is wicked. They used old school jokes, like kind of thing, like the kind of thing. I was like, wow, this is really. They were ethnic cats. They were Polish, Ukrainians, Italians, like you know, and then British, and then like the Irishman fits perfectly. We were like, if you saw the, if you see, if you have the Deep End record, absolutely. If you see the last names, it's like the credits of uh, like the old <laughs> Omni TV MTV thing. Like, so, so, like you know what I mean? It's, it was quite the United Nations of names. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm standing there, and all I hear is. What? 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 And they had their own language. Like, in, they, instead of saying many times, it's, oh, it's new me, as in numerous. Oh, yeah. new me, man. I called him new me. Oh, bum and day. Like, it was like this weird Southern Ontario surf culture. Because they all lived on the lake, though. Like, the lake shore. They lived, they called it the shore. No, man, I've been selling the shore and the drugs. I've been selling drugs on the shore since I was 14. It's was like, fuck, okay, whatever. It was literally like, I moved to Compton. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there were all these white Ukrainian kids, right? And, um, all I hear is, eh, fucking fuck you, where is he? I'm going to kill him, where is he? And, and, and they all coming out with the porch, go! All right, so it's like, like not GBH, go! Like, we're fucking start skating away from the place. And I'm like, you didn't fucking kick him out yet? What the fuck is wrong with you guys? And then, um, oh, we played, we played a CHRY benefit that uh, the Lemonheads ended up headlining. Wow. And it was when this is when Dando would walk around with that prong hat. <laughs> so um, j uh, friends had just come out on Tang. Okay, the, yeah. Them licking each other, yeah, the bald yeah, heads, yeah. or something weird like that. And um, Mallet had played as well, the next chapter of Gangrene. The sh oh, okay. Sh Schindler brothers. It's, like it's like a... Yeah, it's a Harley-Davidson logo. Oh, yeah, Harley-Davidson yeah, yeah, logo. Mallet, they were fucking good. Boston, they gave us great punk bands, but then they gave us great, like, crossover metal. Uh, yeah, I, I, the I like Straw the Straw are my favorite band in the fucking I, you world, man. Yes. We're the few and the proud on oh, that fuck, one, too. Dude. Young Fast Iranians is probably yeah. the most bad. That, but the FU's version of Young Fast Iranians is good, but the Straw Dogs made it better. Yeah. It was like... Mm. I'm not going to go that far with you down the oh, street. Really? I go, oh, I go pretty far with you. The Hunger? Oh! <laughs> that fucking We Are Not Amused like, album? That yeah, was like, amazing. Like, I, I do like that. Oh. <laughs> and I like the second DYS record, too. Yeah, oh, Fire and Ice? Yeah, uh, that was the shit. Wolfpack was good. Yeah. Fire and Ice was fucking badass. Oh, there, Al. Uh, that's, that's a... Yeah, you're right. like, you and me are the only two I think that have that uh, I still have a copy of it where it was The Dance of Death before they put the oh, tag yeah, issue. Yeah, like, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a hard one to find. Um, so we did this show, we did, uh, we wrote five originals, including a reggae song, <laughs> which was called Crush. It's on, Bad brain. on the, re on the record, yeah, on the yep, damp, yep. deep end record, um, way out. 
So somebody's friend, uh, somebody had, I found these pictures in Mark's basement. Who the fuck are these? Who are these people? So we put these goofy pictures in the record and, and they said, oh, that's Einie, Ruth and Earl's neighbor. Ruth and Earl were a Newfoundland family that lived on the lakeshore. Do you know, uh, it's side Ruth and side Earl, if you've noticed on uh, the deep end. On the LP, on the okay. So Ruth and Earl had this neighbor that used to go on trips with them. Classic kind of thing. If you didn't have kids anymore, you'd take your neighbor with you yeah. on a trip. So Ruth and Earl went on a trip, and they, or Einie went on, uh, Ruth and Earl went on a trip, and they brought Einie with them. So for some strange reason, there's these pictures of this Newfoundlander woman named Einie that I found, and I go, who is this? Oh, that's Ruth and Earl's neighbor. It was no big deal. So I thought it'd be funny to call side one Ruth, side Earl. That was a little tidbit into deep end culture. Anyway, so we play the show, and this guy comes up to us, and I look at him, I'm like, you're Ron Sumner, he's a drummer for Slaughter. He's like, yeah, I really like you guys. Uh, I think I want to do something with you guys because he just put out a cassette by this metal band called Overthrow. Yep. And cassettes were the only thing you couldn't afford to do a CD if you he had, had Epidemic it. Records, right? Yeah. That's his label. And the Overthrow was the only thing. So we, that day we played with another band called uh, Epileptic Brain Surgeons, mm -hmm. and uh, he uh, um, he wanted to sign them and he signed us on the spot. Well, signed whatever. Like, yeah. Agreed. We, so we, he goes go go do a thing. So within a, see Deep End's existence. This is the funny thing. Deep End really Deep End started. Within three weeks, we had 10 songs. Within a week of that, we were in the studio with Harold Hess from Harem Scarum, who was a local Durham region rock and roll king. Um, and then um, we had a record out because Ron's family, the Sumners, mm -hmm. owned a thing called a Raymond Litho and Print originally. They held the patent pending for the 12-inch record jacket for Ontario. Wow. They used to put out old Stomp and Tom releases, old all country music and Maritimer music and stuff. So while Ron and I would be there, I used to run the label with them. While we were there being punks and metal and stuff, we would also be doing, I would be doing the typesetting for all the, for Buddy What's-His-Game and the other fellers, all these Newfoundlander like, like Maritimes things. That's what kept the lights on during the day. Then at night we would like, Malhavik, Epidemic, like let's get this going with this. So then, so, but the thing is I press for Ron saying punk is vinyl. It's not this, because this, that thing is fine, but you've got to put our thing out on vinyl. So mm -hmm. we were the only, the first epidemic vinyl release. I think the only one too, right? Yeah, pretty much. I don't think yeah, CD. But then that uh, European label, I think Music for Nations even picked up uh, um, the, the, vine, the vinyl the, version um, of it. The release and uh, what's the one with the big open sore on the cover yeah. or something like that? And I then there's a, a Strapito, the, the, that was only a tape on Epidemic. Oh, Strapato. Strapato, sorry. Strapato is a way of being tortured by your back. It's yeah. disgusting. And it's yeah. the name of the LP, so yeah. the Slaughter LP, yeah. and then they, when they trained, had to change their name. But I think, I'm trying to think of all the Epidemic records because I'm like, that's one of those labels I'm fascinated it by. It was, uh, there, he did a Florida band called Cynic, and then he did Overthrow. And then it was Beyond from Brampton, or Burlington, or Brampton, and then it was Deep End. Then Beyond the, from Brampton? Yeah, then it was Monster Voodoo Machine, which were a part, a, a, yeah. earlier members of uh, Curious Mold, Bram, uh, Brampton's first like punk band. They predate fucking, they're probably right up there with uh, um, Vile Tone's direct action. Like really? Or Curious Mold. Is who was in called. Curious Mold? Huh? Steve, who's in a band now in Toronto called the Thinly Veiled Double Entendre. Wow. And he was the drummer in Beyond. He used to play with his back to the audience, which was unheard of at the time. But apparently that sounds better, like sonically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he was, so he was, they were geniuses. They were weirdos, but they were geniuses. Beyond, that's crazy. What did, what did they, were, they were doing punk or metal? Or no, it? it was like progressive, like it was pre-Monster Magnet, kind of like trippy, oh. kind of like... Oh, Sean 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 Garvey was the the singer guitar player and he used to do the craziest artwork for the things. Wow. So it was a Florida band cynic, Beyond, Overthrow, Monster Voodoo us, Machine, Us, then Mel Havoc, no Us, then Monster Voodoo Machine. Oh, okay, so I found Deep End sadly very childish. I, I, there was even though it was the dumbest thing ever that for me to do. Because Mark was a genius songwriter, mm -hmm. and it was only starting to come about that I noticed that he was starting to do it. But there was something about it that I didn't like, and there was something kind of—I think it was the traveling that kind of got me over the edge of having to go from Pickering to Etobicoke on the on the on the, the go train okay. was kind of getting me down. And then Missing Link broke up because Terry, the bass player, got an offer. Tim Alchin from MSI moved to Montreal to play with this amazing band called Rise, which was left from the ashes of Fair Warning, mm -hmm. my favorite Canadian punk. Fair Warning ever. That You Are the Scene record is a great LP. Album. They're the best fucking band in the world. I have the other record that never came out at home. I'll try to dig it out. Oh, for what you. is it like? It's, is all, it? it's more DIY, DYS. It's more like oh. Rise because it's still banned. Instead of going like this, he's like, blah, blah, like all this. It's more like uh, like Little Costa and stuff. Yeah. The Rise record. And, and so um, Terry, they, they needed a bass player. And I said, Terry, why don't you go, not knowing what it was going to cause, I said, why don't you go 
Join those guys. You don't want to be here anymore. He's like, go to the thing. So Terry moved to Montreal to play with uh, Rise. And Mark Coleman, Moby from Missing Link, turns to me and goes, what the fuck am I going to do now? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, you're quitting Deep End and we're starting a band together. Because Mark played, I loved Flag. Mm -hmm. I loved The Descendants. I loved All. I, there was a crossover aspect of deep end that I wanted to get away from mm -hmm. and it was rude of me I was probably being a snob but also it was my closest friend in Pickering wanted to start a band with me so I said okay and he goes we're gonna call it Kingpin and it's gonna be wicked so I stole Tim Kowalski from deep end and we had this met this uh, the replacement drummer from Tim Alton was in uh, uh, Yard Greenstein who was in MSI okay we stole him as well and we started Kingpin. Kingpin's like a super group of Southern Ontario. At that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the, but we were only 21, 22. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. to call yourself a super group. <laughs> but it's, it's still, it's like, it's, you know, you kind of put together everyone from that last wave. It was, yes. Um, and then um, it was, it all, it, honestly, for a guy that's had no musical training, I ended up with, in, in bands with some of the fucking, like, some of the best fucking musicians in this city. Because within. <clears throat> six months of us being called Kingpin, we had a cassette out. Yeah. It was horrible. I was fucking awful on it. You yelled at me one time and told me never to ask you about Kingpin. That's probably, yes, yeah, because it was, I was so disgusted. Oh, I have the flats and the sharps. So like, no, the engineer just got paid for uh, pressing buttons. He didn't say yeah. sharp, flat. I didn't understand any of that shit until we got a show with all as Kingpin. And Stefan's like, oh, you're not in this deep end thing anymore. No, no, we're doing this now. And then, oh, oh Moby's got this. Because he knew them. We knew him anyways from like both down. So, yeah. And so I said to him, oh, Stefan, we got 10 songs now. How much would it cost for you to come up here and produce us? So I think we did it for $1,200. <laughs> he paid for his flight. Wow. So we gave him 1200 bucks. He paid for his flight, came up here. We went into Reaction Sound, which was on Stafford and King at the time. And uh, I had my tissue where to go. Anyways, sorry. No problem. Yeah, we, um, we went in there and we recorded the. Uh, I don't know. Did you ever hear Disturbo? I have Disturbo. That's where I, there's a flyer in it, Al, that says, "Ask me about, ask us about Kingpin," in my copy. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, we're oh, oh, because Was we changed it? our name. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah. it would record. I'll, I have a Kingpin cassette if you ever want. I would love. I would love that. Because it's 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 without the extra tracks. Also, who did the who did the clown? The clown. Okay, the idea for that album cover is I wanted. Um, I was. I used to read these comic. I love comic books. I always have. So, but I read a, a comic book called Fractured Fairy Tales. Mm -hmm. No, no, Cotton Candy Autopsy. Fractured Fairy Tales was an animated the, thing. And that's McFarlane Toys did something called Fractured. Fairy. The, yeah, anyway. well, no, that yeah. Fractured Fractured Fairy Tales is the old uh, same people that did Roger Ramjet. Oh, okay. And, uh, so it, and it had a voice where the Queen came in like this <laughs> and that kind of thing. And it was they were always on for like it was like Simon and Peabody, same animators, yeah, okay. Roger Ramjet. So, but Fra um, Cotton Candy Autopsy was a story about a freak show collaboration that it was their nights off from the circus, so they were them going out getting drunk. <laughs> the two-headed woman having sex with the fucking strong man and it was the creepiest fucking weirdest thing I ever said and it had a cover of a clown with a cigarette and a black eye and I thought oh, this is awesome so I said to Moby I said let's have the record called like it looked like it's in clown wrapping paper so the artist at the time was a guy who did all the Doughboys album covers all these things named Drazen Kozen mm -hmm. so I said and he did also Mel Havoc he did that the sore in the wall okay. from an H.P. Lovecraft story or a Clyde Barker story I can't remember which one it is one of those he's teams. a great artist yeah he's an excellent do you, do you artist do you go and do anything else strange individual I have no idea yeah. I, I, he gave me the price for the thing I gave it to him paid it for it he immediately asked for the artwork back and then never spoke to me ever again so I don't know what I did or whatever but um, I seem to have that effect on people but uh, Stefan came up, recorded it, and that's where I learned about sharps, flats, and um, you know they hadn't even really peaked yet. They were still the band dying to be the Descendants, or still cursed of not being the Descendants. Mm -hmm. So it was a real strange kind of fucking period. But on that note, Jeremy, I'm sorry we have to get back to work. Al, this has been incredible. Um, well, let's do this again, gentlemen. Let's, okay. let's both get yes, together. Sir, and uh, we can talk. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm the live listener. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob. Sorry. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Thank, Thank you, you both yeah. so much. I've looked and, forward uh, to this for many years. Oh, well, I've, I've, right I cannot believe it took us this long, and part two will not take us right. as long. Right on. Thank you, Al, for coming on the show. Now, I think in the beginning of the show, when Al's talking about my dad going to shows, I think he means my stepfather. Um, because I don't know if 
I don't know if my dad went to a show with Al, but I think my stepfather did. Anyway, you don't care about that. Also, thanks to Andrew for being here for that podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, turned out a punk. It's got a one-track mind. and But I really appreciate you hanging out. And please, once again, go and see Hardcore Logo Live if you're in the Toronto area at the Dance Cave, HardcoreLogoLive.com to get your tickets for the show. Next week on the show, it's a fun one. It's, it's a fun one. Next week on the show, John Joseph of the band The Cro-Mags of Blood Clot, of setting the uh, archetype for which a lot of us front people try and, and, and follow on stage. Uh, it's a fun conversation. Uh, it's a good companion, I think, to his book, which is a fantastic book, too, Evolution of a Cro-Magnon. So, Cro-Magnon, so please, please listen to that next week. Uh, I think you're in for a treat. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the show. Uh, thank you, everyone, that's come up to me and say hello to me on tour and, and said they listen to this podcast. Once again, please come and see Fucked Up on the West Coast on this tour, and uh, I will see you all next week. Go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Bye.